0: In Exodus chapter three, Jesus or, or God meets with Moses, who was out in the wilderness minding the sheep, and he, he met with him in a, in the form of a burning bush. Do You remember that, and he and he told Moses about what his what his plan for him was, and that was to, to 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 deliver his people, the Israelites, out of Egyptian bondage. And Moses, of course, was uncertain about it and didn't think he had what it took to, to do that. But at one point he asked God, he said, who, who am I supposed to, when I get to Egypt and I approach the king, Pharaoh, what am I supposed to tell him? Who am I supposed to tell him sent me to take these people out of bondage? And God said, tell him, I am that I am sent you. The first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega. God isn't just a God of the past and he's not just a God of the future, but he's God right now, always. I am. I love that song, and I love the, the truth that it speaks of. We're actually going to be in Exodus chapter 33 today, so if, if while I was talking you got to Exodus 3, then you're almost there. You're no doubt familiar with the events that took place in Exodus chapter 32 God had called Moses up into Mount Sinai, where he would meet with him, give him the law, what we, um, including what we now call the Ten Commandments. He spent quite a long time up there with Moses, so long, in fact, that the, the people that he was leading, the Israelite people down on the ground, started to get concerned and wondering what happened to Moses, what happened to our leader? They were nervous, they were afraid, and so they took matters into their own hands and along with their, their uh, Moses' partner, Aaron, they, they constructed this calf made of gold. They melted all of their earrings and jewelry together and made a calf of gold and they, and they began to worship this golden calf. And, and, and Moses found out about what was going God told Moses about what was going on below. They were singing and dancing and, and doing all kinds of crazy things with this calf, And Moses came down off of the mountain and was so angry with the people's behavior that he took those stones that God had engraved the law onto and he threw them down and and broke them into pieces and and, and God judged the people and thousands were killed. About 3,000 of those Israelites were killed. That's all in chapter 32. And in chapter 33, Moses sets up a tent far outside of the camp because of their sin, no doubt, and called the, the tabernacle of the congregation, and the people could go there. And Moses would go there and meet with God. Let's read just a few verses beginning in verse 9, Exodus chapter 33. In verse 9, it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle. This is that tent that he sent up outside of the camp. Moses as Moses entered into the tabernacle the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses Think about that And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the door at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his tent door and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. We're going to look shortly and see how God would reveal himself, his glory to Moses, how he would reveal his glory to the people. But, but before we do that, I, I want to take note of what precedes God's revelation of himself to Moses. Because it was Moses, really, who initiated these encounters with God. He didn't wait for some signal or even a calling from God. He went into the tent, and when he did, God was ready and waiting to meet with him. Look at verse 9 again. It came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. The cloudy pillar, you'll remember, was the presence of God, which led the Israelites God was ready to meet with Moses, and he was waiting for him to come into the tabernacle, into the place, and then he was to descend with him. It's always been that way God, God's always waiting for His people to, to come to Him. Deuteronomy 4:29 says, "But if, if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him, if thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul." Isaiah 55:6 says, "Seek the Lord." While he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. And this isn't just for the ancient Jewish people. James said, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. We are to initiate conversations with God. Not just always sit back and wait for him. Well, God's just not showing me anything. God's just not talking to me. We're to go to him. We're to initiate these conversations with him. God is waiting. God is still waiting on his people to seek him. He's always been waiting on his people to seek after him. Now, what was Moses specifically seeking him about? Verse 13 says, now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, this is Moses's prayer, if God I have found grace in your sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. Skip down a few verses to verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, or I beg thee, show me thy glory. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know God's will. He wanted to see the glory of God on display. He He was desperate for it. You can hear it in his voice. In fact, in verse 15... He was getting leadership about what they should do next. They're still traveling through the wilderness. In verse 15, he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses was desperate to know God. He was desperate to see God and to experience God's leading. And he said, God, if you're not going to go with us, if your presence is not with us, then we might as well just drive down the stakes of this tent even deeper because we're not going anywhere there's no reason to go forward, God, if you're not going to go with us. He was desperate for God. Moses was no stranger to the presence of God. We just read in verse 11 that God spoke to Moses in the tabernacle that day in such such an intimate way that it was like two friends standing face to face talking with one another. Moses wasn't a stranger to God's presence, and yet and yet experiencing God in that way just caused him to have a greater desperation to know him and to be led by him. This was his prayer. Show me your way that I may know thee. Show me thy glory. It's a good prayer. Paul the apostle said something similar when he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. I just want to know him. Now there were some limitations on what God was able to reveal to Moses. Really, there were some limitations on what Moses was able to see of God. Look in verse 20. This was the response of of God Almighty. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by. That's an important phrase. Amen. That I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I'll take my hand away. Take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face thou shalt or shall not be seen. God's glory is too magnificent for human eyes. To see, We can't see him and live, but he, but he wanted to give Moses, because of the desperation of Moses to know him and to see him, he wanted to give Moses a glimpse into his glory. And so he offered to put Moses, he said, go up on a rock and I'm going to put you in, a, in the, cliff the cleft of this rock and I'm going to put my hand on you and I'm, 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 I'm going to pass by. And, and you won't be able to see me when I'm, when I'm in front of you because if you do, you'll die. But once I pass by, I'm going to remove my hand and then you'll be able to see the back of me. What a special time that was. And the result of Moses' encounter with God was that he was shining so brightly that at the end of chapter 34 that he had to wear a veil over his face in order to even talk to the other people. Now, now sandwiched between Moses' desperate plea for God and for his presence and to know God and this in this face-glowing experience, we get our own glimpse into the glory of God. And that's really one I want us to focus on this morning if, if you were if you were told or if you knew that there would be a, a a visual demonstration today as soon as we walk out of this building there's going to be a visual demonstration of the glory of God what might you expect if you got a notification on your phone this morning or you read your news and and it said today at 12 30 God will be showing his glory what might we anticipate? Where might you go to see it? We might go outside and look at the sky and expect him to, at noon or 1230, just to, to, to make everything black and then light up the sky with some magnificent lightning display. Or we might expect thunder to clap that would be heard all over the world. Or, or we might expect a, 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 a handwriting in the wall, maybe in some mysterious language, but somehow we're able to understand it. I don't know what we would expect if if God said, I'm going to display my glory. But, but, But I want us to see here something that may surprise us just a bit. Beginning in verse 18. And he said, this is Moses, I beseech thee, I'm begging you, God, show me thy glory. Now notice the response of the Lord in verse 19. And he said... I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Now that's interesting in itself. That that Moses asked to view God's glory, and God said, I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. God's glory can't be separated from his goodness. His glory, in fact, is revealed in his goodness. We see his glory in his goodness. Goodness. The psalmist said, O taste and see that the Lord is good. First Chronicles 16:34, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. God is great because God is good. Amen. Verse 19: Again, he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So the three traits that God says are going to be on display when he shows his glory are these, goodness, mercy, and grace. It's incredible, isn't it? Look at the next chapter. This is when God does reveal himself to Moses. Exodus 34 in verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him. There's that phrase again. And proclaimed the Lord God merciful and gracious. How many other adjectives could... God used to describe himself when he's passing by and showing Moses his glory, but he chose merciful and gracious. He didn't say mighty and powerful, although he certainly could have. He didn't say majestic and, and frightful, but he said the Lord God, merciful and gracious, full of mercy, full of grace. It's because of his mercy that we're not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The the word grace refers to his favor towards us. It's a a gift. Something that we cannot earn. Something that, that we do not do anything for and we certainly don't deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The grace of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is generous with his good. He is gracious to whom he will be gracious with and merciful to those he will be merciful with. Jesus said this about the Father. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? God is good. God is generous. God is gracious. He is gift, He is a gift-giving God. I especially love the words of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, if you were to look at the first three verses of that chapter, Ephesians chapter 2 you would find the reason why we needed mercy, the desperate uh, uh, plight that we were in. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. We were dead, dead men. But then in verse 4, we're told why he chose to save us because he's rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. When it it comes to the currency of mercy, God is a multi-billionaire. You don't have to worry about him running out. He can give it to you and to you and to you, and he still has an unlimited supply. God is rich in mercy, it's a fountain that never runs dry. It's a never-ending flow, always pouring out on all of us. And the more it goes out, it, it, it never, it never even begins to run low. God is rich in mercy, full of grace, full of mercy. Not only is His glory though revealed in His mercy and in His grace. Verse six, if you're still in Exodus 34 says the Lord God, merciful and gracious. And then he says, long-suffering. This, this is God's revelation to Moses. That means he's patient with us. He's slow to anger. He's got a long fuse, a very long fuse. He's not looking for opportunities to scold you, He's not trying to catch you doing something wrong so that he can. There it is. No, no, he's patient. He's overly patient. He is long suffering. This was the prayer of God's people in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 17. Thou art a God, listen to these next three words, ready to pardon. You're a God who is ready to pardon. He's standing by, waiting to pardon. Gracious, it goes on, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. What a description of God Almighty, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. God wants to pardon. He wants to forgive. He longs for opportunities to show mercy and grace, to demonstrate his patience, to demonstrate his long suffering with you. Our view of God can be so distorted, can't it? So often I fear that we're like Adam and Eve who sinned against God's holy word, and what did they do? they run off and they hide. They hide themselves. Believing that God is like us, like he's short fused, like God is going to, we think sometimes that God is like us, that he's going to treat us like I would treat us. He's going to treat me like I treat my kids. He's going to treat me like I treat those around me. He's going to lash out at me like I lash out at my family. That's how we think about God. We, we try to humanize God and make him just like us. But, but God is ready to pardon, gracious, and merciful, and full of kindness, and slow to anger. And God's grace and his mercy and his patience actually are never on greater display than when we do sin. God's patience with you is, not, is never better displayed than when you sin. God is, I never experienced God's mercy more than when I sin. I never experienced his pardon and forgiveness more than when I sin. Isn't that what Romans 5 says? Where grace abounded, or where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The more there is sin, the more there is grace. Grace abounds as sin abounds. And, and Paul, even when he was writing it, directed by the Holy Spirit, anticipated some of the objections that were going to come to him writing those controversial words, and perhaps... Perhaps the the people who were reading these letters in Romans would have been thinking the same thing that some of you are thinking because we have a a distorted view of God's grace. And so they're thinking, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense that when we sin more, his grace abounds more. Because that would mean that I could just sin as much as I want to sin and know that God's grace is always going to cover it. And so he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just keep on sinning because that's going to fill up God's grace tank even more? And then he said, no, God forbid. How shall we that are, that are dead to sin live thereunto any longer? No, no, we're dead to sin. God in his grace and mercy has forgiven us of that sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin like we once were. So why would we want to live for sin any longer? But when we do sin, we experience his grace. When we do sin, we experience his pardon. When we do sin, we experience his mercy. Amen. The point is that when we do sin, we don't need to hide from God. We don't need to hide away like Adam and Eve did and say, well, maybe, man, I've really messed up. He's really going to get me now. God is going to be after me now. I know he's going he's to strike me now. I just got to I I hide. No, no, no that's the very opposite of what he's saying to us. Instead, when we sin, we need to run to him for mercy and in and, and repentance we run to him and we say, God, forgive me. And we know because we know who God is that he is slow to anger and he's ready to pardon. God will not withhold his goodness from us. He is rich in mercy. Remember when when, when 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 Moses is seeking God here, asking for God's glory, asking for God to, to know God, to see God, it's immediately after they've just sinned in such a great way. The Israelites had just had just just fallen in idolatry and forsaken the one true God, and were and we're, we're bowing and singing and dancing to this to this calf made out of gold. They sinned greatly, and God had already judged them for it. And now Moses is not running away, but rather than saying, God, show me your glory. We need you to go with us. Where do you want us to go? If you're not going to go with us, then we're just going to stay right here where we are. Show us your glory. And how did God respond to Moses? He said, I will pass over you, and I will show you my goodness, and I'll show you my grace, and I'll show you my glory. That's wonderful. Should we sin? Of course not. Of course not, because we love Christ so much for what he's done for us. In fact, we know that God does not overlook sin. Don't misunderstand. There's a difference between overlooking sin and forgiving sin. There's, there's a difference between ignoring sin and not caring about sin and being willing, being quick to pardon. Look in, in if you're still in chapter 34, We look ahead to verse 7. God, keeping mercy for thousands... Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. Sin will judge because God is holy. He will deal with sin, but He shows kindness, He shows mercy, He shows grace. When we sin, it's not a time to hide from the Lord. It's a time to run to him. If we confess our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. He's faithful to do that every single time. God will not turn you away and say, nope, you've done enough. You've done enough. No, in fact, he told Peter, remember when Peter said, God, or Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brothers? They keep, they keep doing st- stuff. And Jesus said what to him? Seventy times seven. Do you think God... The Father, the Holy One, is going to be any less forgiving than he tells us to be? No, he's he's quick to pardon. He's ready to forgive. When we sin, and we will sin, we should not hide from him or be afraid of him, but rather go to him in repentance, believing by faith that he will forgive our sins, that he is merciful and gracious and kind and loving. The psalmist, Psalm 103, 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and I like this phrase, plenteous in mercy. Don't worry. Don't think that your your spouse took all the mercy. There's plenty left for you. There's plenty left for you. Plenteous. Back in verse 6, we just read this. I especially like the word abundant. That's used in verse 6 the lord passed by before him and proclaimed the lord the lord god merciful and gracious long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth we already saw that he was good in the previous chapter but he's not just good he's abundant in goodness he's overflowing with goodness it's it, it's pouring out of him it cannot be held there's so much goodness in god that it's 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 overflowing within him it's pouring out of him he's abundant Just as he doesn't hold back mercy, he doesn't hold back goodness. He's not, God is not a frugal God when it comes to goodness and it comes to mercy and it comes to grace. He's he's lavish. He spends lavishly. He's not tight-fisted with his goodness. He's very open-handed. He's open-handed, ready to give to anyone who will come to him. And he's full of truth as well. He cannot lie. He is the truth. Now, turn to Mark chapter 6. Jesus was all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what Paul said to the Colossians. Everything that God is, Jesus was in human form, is in human form. And what God proclaimed himself to be, Jesus personified for us. His mercy, Jesus' mercy and his goodness were were shown through his healing, through his words of comfort to those who were hurting, through uh, freeing men and and women with demonic control. He he would look on these multitudes and see them and have compassion on them. He sat with children and, and loved them This is who Jesus was. Now, five times in the verses that we read earlier in Exodus 33 and 34, we saw this phrase, passing by or passeth by. God will pass by. I will pass by. Moses prayed and God said, I will pass by, and then he did. And here in Mark chapter 6, Jesus, the Son of God, wanted to pass by in a similar way. What we're about to read was immediately following one of the most well-known miracles in all of the Bible. And that's when Jesus took a lunch, a single lunch, and he fed 5,000 people with it. And the disciples were, were not just witnesses of it, although they were witnesses of it, but they were actually participants in it. He distributed the, the the bread, and he kept breaking it, and somehow, even though there was just one lunch, somehow we just kept multiplying and multiplying, and, and, and then 10 people ate, and then somehow 20 people ate, and then somehow 100 people ate, and then in some amazing way, there was still an, uh, more left, and they kept feeding, and, and now 5,000 people have eaten. And the disciples were, like, literally hands-on. They they, they got to experience this. They, they would hand it, and then they would bring their hand back, and how is that possible? I thought I just gave that away, and I still got more in my hand. So so, so they they couldn't have missed what happened, right? <laughs> Immediately following that, Jesus wants to go away on his own, and so he sends, he sends the disciples out into a boat as he sometimes did. And we're going to pick up in verse 45 of chapter 6 in the book of Mark. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them but when they saw him walking upon the sea they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out for they all saw him and were troubled and immediately he talked with them and said unto them be of good cheer it is i be not afraid and he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. The phrase that we, we, we emphasize, I emphasize in verse 48 at the end, is he, he would have passed by them. Now, why would Jesus want to pass by his friends who were scared for their lives? Believing that they were believing that this was the end, middle of the night, pitch black, storms are up, waves are crashing. They thought this was the end, and he would have passed by. And the reason is that he, he he didn't intend to pass by them in the same way that we might pass by the bank on the way to work, or pass by a friend's house, or pass by the church. Building What what Jesus wanted to do was was far more significant than that passing by. He intended to pass by them, and in passing by them, he was going to reveal his glory. In the same way that when God the Father passed by Moses, he revealed who he was, his power and glory. Jesus was about to remind them of, 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 of who he was because they needed a reminder. Look in verse 51 again. The wind ceased, and they were sore amazed, they couldn't believe it, beyond measure and wondered, and then look at this verse 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. These disciples who had participated in the feeding of 5,000 people had already forgotten this miraculous event that had taken place less than 24 hours before, when they had taken one boy's lunch and fed 5,000 People and so Jesus would have passed by them. He intended to pass by them, not to leave them in their condition, but rather to show them his might and glory and mercy and kindness. And what were the words that he said to them? He didn't say, You bunch of wimps, what is wrong with you? Don't you know that I always come through? No, he said, Be of good cheer, it's I, I'm here. Be cheer up, fellas. The one who has the power to control the winds is now in the boat with you. When Jesus passes by, things happen. Jesus passed by Levi one day. He was sitting at the receipt of customs. He was a tax collector. A Jewish man who was taxing unjustly, taxing his own people in order to to benefit the Roman government... And Jesus passed by him one day, and he looked at Levi, and he said, follow me. And Levi's life was never the same. Another day, Jesus is walking by, and he saw two blind men sitting on the road, and they they heard that Jesus was passing by, and they they cried out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And it just so happens that mercy is what Jesus does best. And he reached down and he touched both of their eyes and both of them on that day were able to see. Many times like this, a blind man would be sitting and and Jesus would pass by and they would cry out to him and say, Jesus, have mercy. And Jesus, who is full of mercy, who is rich in mercy, was willing and ready and looking for opportunities to pour out that mercy and grace to anybody who would call on him. When Jesus passes by, things change. Nothing is the same Jesus' passing by was never demonstrated so clearly than when he willingly went to the cross of Calvary to bear the sins of all people. His goodness and his grace and his mercy were on display on that day unlike anything that has ever taken place. And that grace, the gift that he provided on that day is available to anyone who will receive it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is looking. God is ready. That's what they said in Nehemiah. God, that we're a God who is ready to pardon. He's waiting. He wants to show mercy. He wants to show grace. He wants to pardon those who will receive it. He is the propitiation. That is the atonement for our sins, John said, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He is plenteous in mercy, plenteous in grace, rich in mercy. Our, our perspective on who the Lord is is so important. And and I fear that when we think about God, we think primarily about his wrath, and we think primarily about his judgment and about his anger. And, and we know he's merciful as well. We, yeah, I, I know, he's, I know he's, he, he is merciful. I know he is. But, but we, we really believe in the way that we live that his primary essence of his character is, is judgment. But there is enough grace and goodness to salvage whatever problem you find yourself in. Whatever situation you're in, whatever you've done, however great, just remember this. However great your sin is, God's grace is always going to rise to a higher level. Where sin did abound, God's grace abounded greater. You might be thinking and, and believing in your life that I've I just messed up too much. I've gone too far. I had a chance. I had all the chance in the world, but I've blown it. There's no way God, I'm going to experience judgment. I'm just waiting any day. I know it's going to come any day. God's going to cast judgment on me any day, any moment. It could be today. You may be living in that just just hunkered down fear of what God is going to do. God is just this ruthless judge who is trying to get at me, and I know I deserve it, so I'm going to accept it. No, God is ready to forgive. He wants to show mercy. He wants to show grace. He will not overlook your sin. You must come to him in repentance and faith, but he is longing to meet with you. He does judge sin. He's not going to overlook it, but he's merciful. He's gracious. He's ready to forgive, slow to anger. Don't don't put your own shortcomings of, of of your character on, on God and say, because I am short-fused, I know he is, must be short-fused. Because I am quick to anger, then, I, then he must be the same with me. Because I don't seem to have mercy for people, then I know he must... De-. No, he's God. He, he, he's on a, a, a whole separate level. You can't compare it yourself or anybody that you know with, with God. He, he's altogether different. His ways are higher than our ways. And he's longing for you today to come to him to come for salvation, to come in repentance of your sin, come to Him. He will in no wise cast you out. He's longing for His children to come to Him and and to recognize that He's a God of love who who is not afraid and hiding out from Him, but rather we're coming to Him with our problems, with our sin. Jesus said, Come unto Me, all you that are, are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then He said this, For I am... I am meek and lowly in heart. He's, he, he says, I'm, my heart towards you is that of, 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 of humility. I'm, I'm lowly. I've humbled myself. That's the, that's the God that we're to go to. That's the God who's calling us. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Don't be... We, fe- we fear him, we reverence him, we understand his power, but we are not afraid of him. We do not cower at him. No, he's, he's a loving father who opens his arms wide and is, is, is ready to, to, to throw out his mercy and grace and goodness to all who will call upon him. And I pray that today you will call upon him. Call upon him for salvation, call upon him for forgiveness of your sins, call upon him just... You're in need of a loving father. Perhaps you're like the, the Israelites who, have, who really blew it in chapter 32. And now Moses, is, as their advocate, is coming before him and, and saying, God, we need you. We need, you to, we need your presence. This tabernacle is far outside of the camp right now, God. But we need you inside of the camp. We need you here with us. And if you're not going to come with us, then we cannot go forward. That's the prayer that God is pleased with. Notice that God did not reject Moses. He didn't say no. Sorry guys, you're done. This is it. This is, this is too much. You've gone too far. I, I brought you out of the wicked pagan Egypt and this is how you're going to treat me? This is how you're going to repay me? You're going to build a calf? I'm trying to give you the law. I'm meeting with Moses and giving him the law for you to live and now you're going to repay me by, by forgetting all about me and building this golden calf and dancing and, 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 and screaming and there's a the sound of war? No, I'm done with you. No, God is, God is loving and kind and, and, and mercy. And, and Moses advocated for the people, and he said, God, please, don't, don't, don't destroy them. And God was quick to show forgiveness. And he'll do the same for each of his children. Amen. He's looking for opportunities to show you mercy and kindness and grace if you will ask him for it, if you will accept it from him. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to have a time where you can, and while I'm praying, you can meet with the Lord. He's, he's, he's calling out to us. He's waiting for us. He wants us to come to him. So as I pray, and after that, when the piano plays, if you want to come forward and, and pray, you can. If you want to just sit in your seat and pray, I just want to invite you to to, 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 to seek God. Follow Moses' example and seek God, ask him to meet with you, ask him to be with you, ask him to lead you, ask him to show you his glory and then experience his his forgiveness and, and his mercy and his goodness and his grace. Lord, you are such a good God. A God who is kind, who is ready to pardon, ready to show mercy, rich in mercy, And when we look at your greatness, I know when I look at your greatness, it it exposes my own sin, my own lack of mercy, my own lack of grace, my own lack of forgiveness. And your ways are just so much higher. Lord, today we just want to recognize you for who you are and your goodness and your grace. I just pray, Lord, for anyone here who has, has been hiding from you, Lord, that today they would come out of hiding and they would run to you in repentance and faith. Lord, for all of us who call you our Father, may, may we understand who you really are, the, rest, the essence of your, yourself, and that is goodness and kindness and love and charity. Lord, if there's one here, or many, who are, who, are, who, are, who are battling it and fighting it, God, still wanting to hold on to their sin, I pray that today you would expose it, expose the sin, Lord, within them, and, and then, Lord, just, God, draw them Bring them to salvation and repentance. In Jesus' name.